I'm Philippa Webb, Professor of Public International Law at King's College London. And this is lecture four in the series on diplomatic and consular relations. The topic of this lecture is the breakdown of relations, including the severance of relations and dispute settlement. And I'm going to look at four issues. First, the severance of relations. Second, issues of timing. Third, the end of diplomatic functions. And finally, dispute settlement under the Vienna Convention on Diplomatic Relations and the Convention on Consular Relations. So turning to the first topic on severance of relations. The end of diplom diplomatic relations does not automatically imply the end of consular relations. And there are instances where consular relations have persisted even though diplomatic relations broke down. And there are two key provisions of the Vienna Convention on Diplomatic Relations that deal with this severance, Articles 9 and 23. Article 9 is also known as the provision on persona non grata. And it provides that the receiving state may at any time, and without having to explain its decision, notify the sending state that the head of mission or any member of the diplomatic staff of the mission is persona non grata, or that any other member of the staff of the mission is not acceptable. If this occurs, the sending state can either recall the person concerned or terminate his or her functions within the mission. A person may be declared non grata or not acceptable even before arriving in the territory of the receiving state. If the sending state refuses or fails within a reasonable period to carry out its obligations to either recall or terminate, then the receiving state may refuse to recognize that person as a member of the mission and they will not enjoy the protections for them or their property under the Vienna Convention. No reasons, as I said, need to be given for this declaration of persona non grata. And in fact, the right to declare a person persona non grata is a state's main enforce mechanism against abuses of immunities and privileges. There are various possible reasons that a state may declare a person persona non grata. It might be because of the conduct of that specific person. They may be alleged to have committed criminal offences, whether minor or serious. They could be considered to be interfering in the internal affairs of the state through espionage or terrorism or they could be accused of drug trafficking. Another reason may have nothing to do with the person themselves, but instead the conduct of the sending state and the declaration of a person persona non grata is intended to send a message to the sending state. Finally, the declaration of persona non grata may be a reciprocal action due to uh, an expulsion or recall by the other state. In terms of procedure, it is very rare that a receiving state has to make a formal notification withdrawing recognition of the diplomat as a member of the mission. And it is very rare for diplomats who have been declared persona non grata not to depart voluntarily. There have, however, been exceptional cases. 
For example, a Cuban diplomat, Mr. Imperatori, was accused of spying in the United States. But he maintained his innocence and challenged US officials to arrest him so he could defend himself in court. And the Cuban government refused to voluntarily recall him, saying through their Minister for Foreign Affairs that Mr. Imperatori's defiance is a reason for Cuba and its inhabitants to be proud. The United States gave the diplomat seven days to leave voluntarily. When he did not, the FBI took him straight to the airport and he was removed on a US government plane to return to Cuba via Canada. But this was an exceptional case, and usually such instances are dealt with smoothly and quietly by the two states. Turning to the second issue of timescale, the diplomatic agent who has been recalled or terminated must be given a reasonable time to leave. But the concept of reasonable time has been very flexibly interpreted by the courts. In an interstate case between Eritrea and Ethiopia, in which an arbitration board gave a decision in 2005, there was an issue about the time period given to leave. Ethiopia had ordered the Eritrean ambassador to reduce the diplomatic staff to three, and Ethiopia declared all but those three people persona non grata and gave them 48 hours to leave. The diplomats did leave within 48 hours, but without their property. A few months later, as the conflict between the two states escalated, Ethiopia declared the Eritrean ambassador himself persona non grata and gave him this time 25 hours to depart the territory. In the arbitral proceedings, Eritrea claimed that the time given to its diplomats was too short, between 25 and 48 hours. It did not give them adequate time to close out their personal and professional affairs. However, the tribunal dismissed Eritrea's claim saying that given the circumstances of, of the armed conflict that existed between the two states, it could not find a violation of diplomatic law. And they also noted that on the facts, the diplomats were in fact able to gather their family members and transportable belongings within the time given to them. There's been a very different case in the United Kingdom not to do with armed conflict, but that brought up this issue of what is a reasonable time within which to leave. In this case, a member of the armed forces of a certain country entered the UK with diplomatic status. The local authority brought care proceedings against her, concerned that she was physically abusing her four children. During the family welfare proceedings, the state recalled the mother from her diplomatic post. And the dispute was what was the reasonable period within which she had to leave the United Kingdom, in which, in which she would still enjoy her diplomatic rights and privileges. United Kingdom law does not set out a time period, and the court noted that states take different approaches. Switzerland provides for six months to leave, Venezuela provides for one month. In this particular case, the United Kingdom issued a certificate giving the person one month within which to leave. 
and the court agreed that this was a reasonable time. Apart from the issues of persona non grata and the recall of diplomats, there can also just be the ending of diplomatic functions after a normal term in post. And Article 43 of the Vienna Convention on Diplomatic Relations deal with this. So the reasons for ending the functions include the end of the term, the death of the diplomatic agent, the withdrawal of the diplomatic mission for political, economic, or security reasons, or even a major disruption in either state. Quite an extreme example of breach occurred in 1984 in the United Kingdom. There had been protests and demonstrations outside of the Libyan embassy in London, and gunfire was discharged from two windows in the direction of the demonstration. A police officer protecting the premises, Yvonne Fletcher, was shot and killed. Later, this incident was followed by a siege of the British Embassy in Tripoli and five bombs planted in London. The UK and Libya engaged in negotiations, but after the breakdown of these negotiations, the UK decided to break diplomatic ties, expel the Libyan diplomats and recall its embassy staff from Tripoli. An overthrow of a government that does not, however, automatically end the function of a diplomatic agent. Receiving states usually still regard diplomats appointed by the overthrown government as continuing to exercise their functions, at least until they recognize the new regime. Eileen Denzer explains that in 1973, there was the overthrow of President Allende of Chile the UK government, however, continued to regard President Allende's representative as the ambassador of Chile in London, at least until it recognised the replacement government. And in 1990, when Iraq annexed Kuwait, most states kept their diplomatic missions in Kuwait for as long as it was physically safe to do so, and continued to regard themselves as being in diplomatic relations with Kuwait. One of the effects of the end of a diplomatic appointment is that that person will only enjoy residual immunity under Article 39, Paragraph 2 of the Vienna Convention on Diplomatic Relations, which means that they will only be immune for acts performed in the exercise of functions as a member of the mission. And this is expanded upon in Lecture 2. So finally, we come to the settlement of disputes. Article 1 of the Optional Protocols to the 1961 and 1963 Vienna Conventions provides as follows. Disputes arising out of the interpretation or application of the Convention shall lie within the compulsory jurisdiction of the International Court of Justice and may accordingly be brought before the Court by an application made by any party to the dispute being a party to the present Protocol. Now, in practice, one would expect that this would be very rarely invoked. As Denzer observes, as a general rule, disputes between states regarding Vienna Conventions are not ideally suited for arbitration or judicial settlement. And in practice, they are resolved by the Ministries for Foreign Affairs or other authorities. 
However, the Vienna Conventions on Diplomatic Relations and Consular Relations have been a fairly constant feature of cases on the International Court of Justice docket, particularly over the last three decades. As of November 2019, there have been over a dozen cases brought before the International Court of Justice on the basis of either the Vienna Convention on Diplomatic Relations or Consular Relations. And I will briefly describe the facts of these cases to illustrate the variety of issues that may arise in diplomatic and consular relations that require dispute settlement by a third party. In the armed activities case between the Congo and Uganda, Uganda alleged a breach of Articles 22 on the inviolability of the mission, 29 on the inviolability of the diplomatic agent, Article 30 on the inviolability of the residence of the diplomat, and Article 24 on the inviolability of archives and documents. And the court found sufficient evidence to prove breaches of Articles 22, 24, and 29. It did not address Article 30. In the arrest warrant case between Congo and Belgium, this case was mainly about obligations under customary international law, but the court mentioned the preambles to the Vienna Convention on Consular Relations and Diplomatic Relations to make the point that the purpose of diplomatic immunities is to ensure the efficient performance of the functions of diplomatic missions as representing states. In the Avena case between Mexico and the United States, which was addressed by me in Lecture 3 on consular notification, this case concerned 52 Mexican nationals who were on death row in the United States. Mexico did not bring a claim based on the death penalty or classic human rights. Instead, it brought a claim under Article 36 of the Vienna Convention on Consular Relations on consular notification and assistance. And the court found that the United States had breached this provision and ordered it to review and reconsider the cases in the American courts to assert, ascertain whether the violations had in fact caused prejudice to the defendants. There was a case brought by Honduras against Brazil called Certain Questions Concerning Diplomatic Relations but it was later discontinued. In that case, Honduras claimed that the president of Honduras had used the Brazilian embassy in the capital city of Honduras uh, for asylum, and it claimed a violation of Article 3 on the functions of the mission and Article 41, a duty not to interfere in internal affairs. But as I said, the states decided to resolve this bilaterally and withdrew the case. In certain questions of mutual assistance between Djibouti and France, Djibouti relied on Article 29 of the Vienna Convention on, Consular, uh, on Diplomatic Relations to define the immunity and dignity that should be accorded to a head of state. And Djibouti argued that the head of state should be treated at least with the same respect and dignity as an ambassador. And the court accepted this argument finding that this provision was necessarily applicable to heads of state, and it agreed that it translated into positive obligations on the receiving state 
to protect the honour and dignity of the head of state. On the facts of the case, however, they found that a mere invitation to a head of state to assist in an investigation by testifying was not an infringement of the respect or dignity required to be accorded to him. In the Diallo case between the Republic of Guinea and the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Guinea argued that there had been a violation of Article 36 of the Vienna Convention on Consular Relations through the obligation to inform the receiving state of the individual's arrest and failure to inform him of his right to consular assistance. And the court did find a breach of this provision. There is an ongoing case between Equatorial Guinea and France concerning immunities and criminal proceedings in which one of the key issues is Article 22 of the Vienna Convention on Diplomatic Relations and the inviolability of mission premises. In the Jadav case between India and Pakistan, India had claimed a violation by Pakistan of Article 36 of the Vienna Convention on Consular Relations because of failure to inform without delay an individual of their rights and the consulate of their arrest. And the court agreed that Pakistan had breached Article 36. In the Lagrand case between Germany and the United States, this same provision, Article 36, on consular notification and assistance was invoked and was found to be in breach. There is a pending case at this time on the relocation of the US Embassy to Jerusalem between Palestine and the United States. Palestine claims that a diplomatic mission must be established in the receiving state and it relies on Article 3 of the Vienna Convention. There was a case brought by the Commonwealth of Dominica against Switzerland, which was later discontinued, which revolved around Article 42 of the Vienna Convention on Diplomatic Relations, which provided that a diplomatic agent shall not practice for personal profit any professional or commercial activity in the state. But this was another instance where the states, after having brought the case, one of them against the other decided to resolve it bilaterally. There's the case between the United States and Iran uh, on US diplomatic and consular officials in Tehran in which Iran invoked, in which the United States invoked multiple provisions of the Vienna Convention on Diplomatic Relations, including Articles 22 on the mission, 24 on the archives and documents, 25 on according full facilities, 27 on freedom of communication, 29 on the inviolability of the agent, 31 on immunity, 37 on the immunity of the family members, and 47 on the prohibition on discrimination between states. It also invoked various provisions of the Vienna Convention on Consular Relations. And the court did find, at least in respect of some facts, that Iran was in breach of certain provisions of the Vienna Convention on diplomatic relations. And finally, there was the case between Paraguay and the United States, the Brayard case, in which Paraguay had alleged breaches of Articles 5 and 36 of the Consular Convention, 
but this is another case that was discontinued. So in conclusion, even when there is a breakdown in relations between states, there are certain concepts that are largely respected that are grounded in the Vienna Conventions. There's these concepts of reasonableness, of residual immunity, and of ensuring the smooth functioning of relations to the extent possible to allow for the orderly departure of individuals or institutions, and perhaps in the future for their orderly return. And we've seen throughout these lectures that reciprocity is a key principle between states, and it is often on a reciprocal basis that any disputes between them are resolved. But if a dispute cannot be resolved in this way, then the International Court of Justice remains a forum of choice for states in their peaceful settlement of disputes.